Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Music of Life Church podcast. We are going to discuss the Kings and Retirement episode. If you haven't heard it, give it a listen. We're going to break down the episode so you can help people who've been hurt by this topic. I'm Pastor Jonathan here with Pastor Joel. Hey, how's it going? Great. That was fun. I I really, I, I'm really excited about this topic. I'm really glad that we talked about it. Um. Yeah, because this one this hits is, home. It hits it, home, doesn't it? It is. I mean, this is this is our experience. Right. Like we, this is what we've kind of both seen in the church, and so it was nice to be able to flush it out. So going back to this First Samuel eight passage, I think it's pretty cool to discuss how God responds to this situation. And God lines everything out about what this is going to be like. You know, God is wanting to be their king, be their leader. But when God says king, when Jesus is king, it's much different. Oh, yeah. Right? They are yep. facilitating other people. They're responsible. So I, I just want to talk about that. What is, what is God's response to the people asking for kings? Well, it's amazing we get a look at this through through the eyes of Samuel. Mm -hmm. The position that God put him in is incredible. So the people ask for a king. And what does what does God tell Samuel to do? Listen to them. And then show them what the implications of that request would be. Hmm. So Samuel does, and he goes through this long list of all these really oppressive behaviors that will happen through a king. For instance, it, it literally says in verse 11, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen. Verse 12. He will appoint captains over his thousands. 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers. 14, he will take the best of your fields. Take, take, oh, take. Oh, man, you're right. It doesn't talk about anything he'll give his people. So this is this is God's response. Like, okay, people, I'm going to hear you. God doesn't just say, well, that's a stupid request. Even though... <laughs> Pastor Joel would say, that's a stupid request. God doesn't. He's a lot more merciful than I am. Mm -hmm. And he actually gives the people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't know what they're asking for. Mm. So here you go. Let me, let me let you know what you're asking for. So that was his response is I'm, I'll show you what the request will result in. If I follow through with this, you know what the people do in response to that? Yeah, we still want a king. We're going to be like the other nations. We don't want to do the work of having to actually take direction from God. We'd rather look to a man. And you know what? It's almost like all that garbage that's going to happen to us is going to be worth the fact that I won't have to think about it. The mm. king can just tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'll give him all this stuff as long as I don't have to think. Wow. And what's interesting <laughs> is the bad kings ended up oh. doing all this stuff. What And what's really interesting is God 
warning them about this, what they're, what I don't think they're thinking about is it also takes away their ability to complain about any of this stuff when it happens. Mm-hmm. So God is being a super loving and merciful father to the people through this interaction. And he's actually showing what a leader would do. He's looking out for them. So yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite passages to teach. I've taught it quite a bit. There's a lot we can learn about with leadership. Mm-hmm. There's a lot we can learn about with prayer, especially mm-hmm. in this chapter. So yeah, it's, it's incredible. The way God responded to the people is so merciful, so loving. Right. And that really leads into God's concept for how he wants to lead. The husbanding, now, right? Yeah. That whole, the, the husbanding topic. I mean, this is amazing. So if, if there are people out there who've been hurt by uh, someone in authority who just takes and takes and takes, it's a really good way to identify them as they have, they have someone in an authority in their life who's a boss. You know, and, and yeah. in church in church is supposed to be this place where we we give we we all receive more than what it is that we give. We all do that, you know, and, and really it's interesting. Like I'm I'm thinking about when when God is their king and when Jesus is their king, God and Jesus are giving so much more to us than we can ever give back. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're always the weakest link in that relationship, right? Yeah. I'm never going to outgive God. Right. So that is so that is someone to be husbanded by where they're giving me so much more than I can ever give back to them and it's fun to try. <laughs> right? That's like competent. I'm going to do my best to try to outgive God today yeah. and I feel like that pleases his heart. Like go ahead and try like, like almost like Joel, you're cute. You're cute. Like, go ahead. <laughs> like, oh, but he could, a he's a loving father. Oh, it's like when I, when I used to draw, you know, draw pictures and put it on the refrigerator and I used to say, I drew this for you. And my parents would go, Oh, that's so great. Let's put it on the refrigerator. I just feel amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so we did, we talked about this this concept of husbanding, which is, and I really liked how you said it's when you're saying husbanding, you're not saying the husband in a marriage relationship, right? You're saying the worker of the land, someone who, and people go and they get degrees in husbanding. Yeah. We got a gentleman in our church who has a degree in, in animal husbanding. There you go. But we don't connect that with Wait, should the role of the man in a marriage covenant be a husband man working the land of his husbandry? Or is it just, you know, know, this is like the sex before marriage and divorce topics where it's like, or is the benefit of me being the husband all about me being able to have sex and not feel guilty about it? Oh, dude. Absolutely. That's a king mentality. A husband having that mentality is a king mentality. Nice. God sees being a husbandman as my job's to work people, meaning the potter and the clay work. Yeah, right? grow them, right? Yeah. Make them into who they're supposed to be. Right. That kind of blew my mind that people who are in the 
limitation perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm the king. I'm the one that started this thing. I'm going to run this thing. I'm the final say that they can't support that in the Bible. <laughs> right. Not with any good examples anyways. Right. <laughs> Dude, I mean, do they, do they try? Like, I guess that's what maybe pastor Richard was trying to do. Right. Yeah. I would say he's trying, he's using scripture, but, but unfortunately the scripture, what we learned through that is he's using scripture that's interpreted the wrong way in order to support his flawed point, which it has to be because it's a flawed point. So that would be the same as using, using any of the Kings that the, the Kings that didn't, especially the ones who didn't have a heart after God, like King David did using any of those examples to support this perspective actually is just really bad, bad examples. And it's and that, that pastor is actually showing their ability to interpret the Bible, man. So let's kind of, let's kind of go into this defense strategy a little bit against the people that hold this perspective. And you asked the question, who built this church, which I love that because, I mean, don't you think that 10 out of 10 pastors are going to say God? What do you think? Well, God built the church. What do you think they're going to say? I think they would say that. Maybe nine out of 10. Is that, is that more fair? I don't know. I think they would, but I don't know if they have, I mean, my, my issue would be, is your behavior showing that? Okay. So that's what I wanted to talk about. What's the follow-up question to when someone says, you know, I ask someone who built this church and they say, God did. And boom, you had it right there. Does your behavior show that God built this church? Yeah, that's great. So a follow-up question I would ask to kind of flush that out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know we're going to get, we're going to do a deep dive in this in, a, in the next episode, actually. Oh, cool. But my, my question would be, so then who do you have in place that hears from God who can confront you? Oh yeah. Come on, dude. Right? I love that question. Confront you, meaning just stop you dead in your tracks. When you feel like God is telling you to do this, they present a different perspective and you will listen. Yeah. That's what we say. Like, what's this ultimate, like I need at least one person in my life who, if I'm doing something that I a hundred percent believe is the right thing. Right. I trust this person well enough. And I know the benefit of confrontation well enough to know if this person confronts me, even if I think I'm a hundred percent right at minimum, I'll stop what I'm doing and listen to that person before I make any more progress down that path. So good. And then, I mean, defending against this, this belief, uh, ultimately we, we're going to say this like a broken record definitions, definitions, definitions. Oh yeah. What do you mean by leader? Like, man, if we're going to say like one of these major tools to help someone, it is, what do you mean by what you're saying? It is so difficult to do in the moment. 
Oh yeah. It is that it's like, it's like the conversation is going a certain way. And when you ask someone what they believe that is going, that's like taking the conversation backwards. Oh yeah. And it feels like it, it feels like it. And that is a really tense question. But if someone, if you ask them what they mean or what, what their definition is, and they can't give you an answer, man, that's when, you know, uh, someone's in a, someone's in a bad position. Someone is definitely acting like a, a boss. Oh yeah. And, and their response to not being able to give an answer shows you even more about the person. Right. Cause a lot of times if they can't give an answer, what they'll say is I don't have to, or there isn't an answer, which is more abuse. Mm-hmm. but either that happens or the, another thing that, that actually proves the confrontation works well is a lot of times that question slows that person down, mm-hmm. which is great. Cause that's what we're trying to do with these people who are being abusive is slow them down. Nice. And these defense they, strategy questions are doing that. It's slowing them down. Right. And we're, we're not saying that these people are, they have bad intentions. They might want to follow God. They might want to be leaders. They might want to help the people, but they're oftentimes blinded by their agenda. Right. They go, you know what? God wants this to happen. I'm doing God's will. Well, if you're doing God's will, it should never be at the expense of people. That's a great, yeah, that's a great point. I don't. It should cause... be to facilitate the people around you. It right. Was never, he... I mean, even Jesus's big confrontations to the Pharisees was for their benefit. Jesus received zero benefit from confronting those Pharisees. Right. Even if I'm living the the specific individual purpose and will that God has for my life, mm-hmm. it's going to benefit the people around me, dude. not take from them. Mm-hmm. I love that. So... I thought you got kind of confrontational with Pastor Dick. Yeah, well, he kind of been turning the heat up on us, and and I just mm. thought I'd tr- thought I'd match him a little bit, but but it was really, I guess my my perspective there has been he has used scripture quite often mm-hmm. to support his point of view, and and I understand a lot of the times there's there's been interpretation. Um maybe disagreements, but this one for me was a little bit more extreme in that um, it wasn't just a difference of opinion so much as it was just a blatant misinterpretation of these scriptures that had nothing to do with the topic we were talking about. Yeah. Like I get the God hates divorce line he used. Mm -hmm. That's a traditional belief. There's a flaw in the translations that most Christians use. Mm Mm-hmm. This was not the same as that. This was worse than that. And that Mm. he's using scripture to support a point that this topic's not even about. Like where the scripture he's using is talking about a time period we're not living in. And the words he's using aren't applying to even being in charge of a church. Yeah. The verses he's using are more about either eternity or about salvation. Yeah. Well, I thought you did a great job. Honestly, you know, because that's really tense when the older generation is calling up a, bu- a you know, a couple young bucks 
and they're rapid firing at us, you know, something that, that Pastor Joel and I are constantly, we're trying to do is just make sure that we're not rebuking our elders. And I right. thought, and I thought you didn't, I don't, I thought you didn't rebuke him, which I thought was cool, but you came alongside him and you helped see him another uh, help. I help, I think, show him a different perspective and you shared on yourself. So I thought that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That, and that was intentional. It is like, you know, I, I, I wanted to stay away from saying anything like your interpretation is wrong. Mm. And it was just, you asked me a question and my response was, I'm surprised. I, I thought he knew the Bible better. Nice. That's cool. That's a great way. That's a just sharing on yourself. It's a right. way to stay safe in a disagreement and an argument, just share right. yourself. Awesome. So we hit the loose perspective, you know, none of us answer to no one, which sounds a lot like anarchy to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, like, like we're all supposed to be vigilantes, you know, like, right. eat, like maintaining. So what that really means to me is you maintain the justice that you feel like people owe you. If I don't answer to anyone, if no one answers to me, then it's just, there's no authority and we're all our own authority. Essentially, I become a king, which is really interesting. A king over myself. And yeah, I don't know how this, this is not sustainable. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I can see how people, I can, and we were talking about this in the podcast, how people start being hurt and they don't see, they don't experience leaders. So they say there are no leaders and therefore everyone's a boss, including me. And I, I just need to make sure that I take more from other people than they take from me. That's what the goal becomes. To your point, it's, that's not sustainable. Right. Cause because more more resources are consumed right. than are produced, right? Right. Absolutely. Which eventually leads to we don't have any more resources. But also, so I love this. I need to make sure I take more than you take, but not so much that it makes you mad at me for doing it. Like there's this balance of like, I need to be careful though, because if I take too much from you, it's going to make you really mad and you'll you'll up the ante and you will start taking more. Yeah. So it's this trying to find this ultimate answer. <laughs> it just doesn't work That's because people that's are just oh. all taken. Everyone's and, just taken from everybody else. And that is just, that's just exhausting. Right. Just keeping these tallies of how much I need to take from people in order to survive. Oh, yikes. I want to go through the, what, you know, your observations in the church PJ from like we've been doing in these podcasts from the self-esteem perspective. So we, we, this is a way that we gauge where people are at in the church. And this is a really important tool for you who are listening um, because this is going to help you gauge where people are at and your approach to someone who's low, mid or high self-esteem is going to be very different. So PJ, would you, would you kind of talk about that, the low self-esteem perspective again, and, and why that is the low self-esteem perspective? Yeah. So low self-esteem is people who 
they need they need affirmation in their lives. They need people to tell them they're awesome. They need people to give to them mm-hmm. in order to feel good about who they are. And it doesn't even matter who those people are, whether those people are more excellent, equally or less excellent than that person. Just affirmation in and of itself feels good. And this is equated to the pastor who is a businessman. Nice. The pastor who is a businesswoman. The pastor who is trying to feel good about who they are because of the position they're in. And the way to do that is to make sure everybody is honoring and respecting and giving to me. Yeah. One of the ways that we talk about that perspective is the nickels and noses. Oh yeah. Right. So it's people, it's authorities who count people and they count money. So you ask them how, how things are going in their congregation and they tell you, Money's great and people are growing. Yep. We got the, the pews are full and so are the offering plates. Right. And, and so that means that I don't need to listen to what you say. Right. Because my, my pews are full and my plates are full. And the health of my church is measured by that. Exactly. Which that even gets to, you know, what we talked about with the goal of ministry is to provide a service, not mm. to not to collect money or resources. Mm -hmm. So that again, like the goal of the ministry should be this service. Someone asks how the church is doing. We should be like, the people are growing spiritually. The people are being sanctified. It's amazing. That's awesome. But they're proving they're a business person when they're saying the goal, like they're showing the goal is to make money. Right, right. So how about that mid-self-esteem perspective? Mid-self-esteem is is really what we're seeing here is it's people who know what's going on is bad enough to get away from it. Mm. So it does take self-esteem to stop being abused, to recognize. And we, we discussed this, we discussed this in part for a person to recognize I know what's happening to me by this pastor or leader isn't right. I also recognize it's not the, the church at large's fault. It's not God's fault for Mm. what I'm experiencing. Sure. And I do need to take myself out of the situation. However, it hasn't yet gotten to the point where this person is necessarily looking for or desiring the embracing of somebody who would actually lead them. So we understand these people who are in the place where it's like, I just need to get away from a bad perspective, a bad idea. So these mid self-esteem people, they are people who do feel good about themselves as an effect of people. They look up to affirming them. And even affirming them for a cause, letting them know they're great. So it would take being a mid self-esteem person is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And these people do recognize I'm not going to take abuse from somebody if I don't have to, if it's in the, if, especially under the guise of it being church. Nice. However, these people still may be searching for, 
you know, they're not quite high self-esteem yet. They don't really understand themselves well enough. They may not quite yet understand the, the extreme benefit they would receive by having somebody facilitate their own purpose and progress. Cool. Yeah. And then that leads us to kind of the high, that high self-esteem perspective. Yeah. So high self-esteem is the, these are, these are the leaders and pastors who know their role. They know who they are. Mm-hmm. They knew they know how to hear from God and they're leading this group of people according to, according to God's guidance, according to God's wisdom, which includes even the preparation for themselves to be retired and letting someone else take that position. And what, what I like to see, I know we're saying kings in retirement. We're talking about pastors and leaders retiring as well. Here's what I'd say the difference between a man retiring and, a, and, and God's view of retirement. Mm-hmm. A man retiring is what we talked about. It's this like, cool, I'm done working. Now I don't have to think. Mm-hmm. I can sit on the beach and drink my ties and just get a suntan the rest of my life. Right. God retiring somebody is, I like to see it as this. It doesn't mean you're done working. It means God's promoting you into this role of developing the younger generation. Nice. I'd like to see whatever God's role is for you that's next. This is one of the things I'd love to talk to these pastors about who have this king mentality. Mm. When you quote unquote retire from your position as a pastor, do you think what God has for you next is going to be worse or better? than what you've been doing yeah that's great good question and and i don't even know i wouldn't even know what to expect i don't know how many answers i'd get to that i think people would i think it would confront people to the point where they'd be like well it doesn't sound like god to me that he would put me in something worse Mm. i think that's what we're afraid of as as kings we're afraid of losing our power we're afraid of losing our kingdom Right. So retiring means I lose my kingdom where it's like, wait a minute. God's always about more. He's always about growing us. So whatever role God has for me next is going to be better than what I'm doing now. Nice. So you gave us the ultimate answer of the pastor of the church ought to realize it's God's church and it's a ministry, not a business. And you helped us see that. And, you know, the goal of the ministry is to provide the service, like you were saying. And so you talked about God's plan and how he does this of, you know, God's version of retiring. What do you have a name for that, that you could help us understand? Yeah, we, I mean, it's not the most poetic of, of names, but we call it the grandpa model. The grandpa model. <laughs> and I, I like that we call it the grandpa model because I think it puts the emphasis on that role of grandpa and the importance of that role. Because I think we consider, it's easy to consider grandpas as retired according to the man-made. Like these are guys who really don't have a purpose anymore, mm-hmm. but they do and it's huge. So the reality is, I can't train the next leader and lead at the same time. Mm. 
And the reason there were so few good kings during Israel's king king's reigning season was because no one trained the next king. Right. We could even see, I mean, as, as amazing as a King David was, how much time and effort was he putting into training Solomon? Solomon didn't do too hot at the end, did he? No, he sure didn't. And the thing is, though, I could argue for David and say he didn't have the time to train Solomon because he was responsible of leading the kingdom. Right, right. Yeah. And that's the issue. Yeah, it's a good point. So David could have contracted out the training of his son, and, he, and maybe he did. There's a lot of stuff we don't know in his story as well. But my point is what we do is what why we call this the grandpa model is what we, we see is like the dad is the person leading. Mm-hmm. They are leading the family. Until when? until they die well then who trains the son to take over nice well if i have the grandpa model and set what that is is the dad leads and takes care of leading mm-hmm. great job dad leading the family you're doing awesome the grandpa who was a dad now was promoted into the role of grandpa and his job is to tell stories and share his understanding and experience with the son. Nice. Grandson. So that while, while dad is leading, son's being trained by grandpa, and son is ready to be dad before dad retires or before dad gets promoted into him being the grandpa. Nice. So that's the grandpa model. So these and priests I- retire from the warfare of service, right? Yep. And they train the next the next generation up. And they have like a P, they have a PhD in dadhood. Oh, sure. They're the, they're the perfect trainers. Yes. They've been there and they understand it and they oh, have experience man. and they have the time now to train the next generation. I man, the, the grandparents that I know, my parents included, they they're just nuts about being grandparents. I know your mom, you know, they just, oh, they love it, it. it's like that's the greatest thing. It's like, yeah, they should train the, the next generation, you know, because they have such a good perspective on what matters and what doesn't. <laughs> right. And and part of that too is you know, I think I think the grandparents love hanging out with their grandkids because they also don't necessarily have the responsibility of parenting them, right? Nice, yeah. So we see these grandparents love telling all these stories. And if they really are dedicated to developing the grandkids into leaders, they have all this understanding of how to do it the right way now and all this experience of what they did wrong, mm. which also means they ought to be able to develop their grandson, for instance, into a better leader than their, that son's dad is nice, which this is the, this model, not only is it the way God wants leaders to handle retirement and how Mm -hmm. Kings ought to have handled retirement, but it's also a model that facilitates this 
progression of each generation becoming better than the one before it. What's interesting, what I find interesting is that it, it seems like the corporate world recognizes this at least as good, if not better than the church in some ways. Wow. So in the corporate world, everybody's role, what everybody does is they're supposed to do their task. They're supposed to lead and do their job description and develop the people below them, right? There's this idea when you're in the corporate world of know the job ahead of you, know the job and and train the person, train your replacement, right? Sure, sure. The only exception to this is the CEO. The CEO is the leader. It is the CEO's job, their role, their task to lead. The wisest, the best CEOs pay for training for their direct reports. Uh, Knowing I don't have the time to train my direct reports. I need somebody to come in alongside me and train these people. Is the church even doing that? Are there pastors saying, hey, it's my job to lead I need people coming in to train my, my church because I can't do both, mm-hmm. but it needs to be done. So how does this work in eternity? Well, yeah, we're going to see God is going to turn God, what the CEO, the ultimate, right? God, the father, he's the alpha, the omega is going to turn the kingdom over to Jesus And we'll see in a later podcast, we'll talk more about that on how that all works. But we have the father and the son using this very model. Well, let's leave it right there. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Joel. Thank you to everyone who's listening. This has been the Music of Life Church podcast. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to hear a certain topic, please let us know. We will see you next time.